KK. Hi, Lo. What is up? What's up, guys? How's your week been? It's been a week. Yeah. But I'm here. I survived it. Made yes. it. Made it to the to the other side. I did. And now we're here to talk about some fun, I guess, stories. Fun for us, not fun for... Which, uh, this is kind of like the, the light of our week. Like, this is our excitement for the week. Yeah. That's sad, <laughs> This actually. is what brings us joy, is talking about other people's misery. Oh, gosh. It sounds horrible. <laughs> I know. But we're not alone in that. There are lots of people who, uh, I'm sure feel us on that. Yeah. Um... And it's not that we like that they're in misery. We just like to share the misery with people. Yes, we just like the details. It just intrigues us, I think. <laughs> so we're going to spill some of that. Yeah. Um, but first, I want to say to hi, best friend, Dax Shepard. Dax Shepard, what up? And then um, also congratulations to the contest winner, Mila Romani from Lincoln Park with her Silent Hill costume. Yes, congrats. She homemade it and it was awesome. Oh, like, so my God, cool. the work she had to put into that. Oh, I know. I can't even imagine. I'm so lazy with my costumes. I either just order or like they're just so like half put together. So that was very impressive to see hers. Yes, yeah, so hopefully she's uh, enjoying her winnings prizes. Yes. You can check uh, her costume out on our Facebook page too if you want to. Take a look at it. Yes. Um, also, we are doing a show today. It's called, well, we're calling it Close to Home, um, but I found a story from Waterford, Michigan, and she found one from Macomb, Michigan, hence the Close to Home. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Um, found some local stories near us, um, sad stories, but... Yeah, close to home. I feel like it's fitting. <laughs> and what did we find today that is so delicious? Oh my gosh, you guys. The wine that we're drinking today. Also, if my voice sounds like funny, I don't even know how it sounds. Um, it's like kind of gone. <laughs> so if I sound scratchy, that's why. I'm not sick. But, um, but yeah, the wine we're drinking, Lo found it. And it is peanut butter and jelly wine from St. Julian and the way that you described it because you took a sip first before me you were like it literally tastes like I took a bite into a peanut butter and jelly and it, it does like it literally just tastes like peanut butter and jelly it's, it's a very crazy. sweet red wine yeah yeah changing exactly. it up we usually go white but uh we decided we're going to try some different flavors, different colors. Yes, being versatile. Um, we definitely like the sweet reds. Sometimes the bitter ones aren't our faves. I'm not a dry wine girl, yeah. so you won't hear much of us doing dry. Anything. Yeah, so I apologize for you guys out there who enjoy the, the dry ones. Maybe one day we'll, you know, venture out and <laughs> try some, but they're definitely not our top favorites. But you guys can drink it along with us from home. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the fun in it. But yeah, it's so good, and I'm obsessed, and I told Lo, I hope it's not like a seasonal thing, or like, just like a, um, what do you even call that, you know, where it's just like... Limited edition. Limited edition, yes. Thank you. Ooh. Because, like, I want to get this all the time. <laughs> She's about to hit Meyer and just buy the whole case of it. I, I know. <laughs> I'm not going to have any room for it in my house, just have, like, cases of this wine. I'm going to bring it everywhere and be like, you guys, 
you have to try this wine. It's so good. People are going to go at your house and be like, we think you have a problem. <laughs> I'm going to like be like hugging it. Like, no, get away. You can't take it from me. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Also, before we start um, with your cold or your throat or whatever, yeah. if you want, you can totally do Phoebe's uh, version of Sticky Shoes from Friends. Anytime, if you feel up to it. Thank you, Feel yes. free to chime in. You know, I might throw it in there, now that you mention it. <laughs> we'll see how much wine she gets. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with this wine, it's dangerous. I could drink a whole bunch, so I guess we'll see. <laughs> okay, so I am going to start off with Thomas Suds. So, Thomas Suds and Beth Elsup Suds, they lived on Lockwood Drive in Waterford, Michigan, which is by Crescent Lake area. It's off Hatchery Road and Airport Road, about 10 minutes from my house. From what I've read, they seem to be having some marital issues. They were even talks of her leaving. She was 56 and he was 74. That's an age gap. Yeah. Um, by 18 years, and that's a big one. Yeah. Um, so I... I definitely have been there before. Not that big of difference, but I do know big age difference can be hard. Especially, I feel like in certain times of life, it can be extra hard. Especially like if he was seventy four and she was fifty six, that's kind of different because she's still like probably got like lots of energy and like wanting to do things, and he's kind of slowing down. I'm sure. So yeah. Um, Thomas had a lot of mental issues, uh, anxiety being the major one. He often had panic attacks. He was very fixated on thoughts and he obsessed over his wife being unfaithful. He just wouldn't let it go, was always obsessing that she was being unfaithful. Even though he had recently been prescribed medication, he'd spent some time in the hospital for psychiatric reasons. As part of the treatment plan, Michelle Dutcher, which is his therapist, had met with Beth, who reportedly said that she was frustrated by her husband thinking she was cheating on him and claimed she still loved him and wanted to stay married. Hmm. And that turned out to be false. (laughs) So, as it turned out, Sud's accusations proved to be true. Her love interest at the time was Patrick Higgins. Patrick Higgins testified that he was deeply in love with Beth and believed that he, she felt the same way about him. They were co-workers at the Kroger store in White Lake Township who they met in, when they met in 2017. She was a cake decorator there and worked in the deli department. They started off as friends, sharing break times, eating lunch together. He said about six months into their friendship, they were in a romantic relationship with each other, he said, and continued until her death. Higgins said when he and Elsa were together, they communicated most of the time using Facebook Messenger and then switching to Snapchat because Beth was having problems with her husband. Being sneaky. Yep. Those snaps, they disappear. Yep. It's where people do it. <laughs> Higgins also testified that Beth had set up her phone to require facial recognition to access it a few months before her death. This was his last contact with her. He said it was around 11.30 p.m. 
on March 16, 2019. The thing about Beth was she was very functional. She always showed up to work. So on the 17th of March, when she didn't show up, a welfare check was called. I wonder if Justin would send a welfare check to me. I don't know. Well, probably for you because you're very, like, dedicated and you, like, don't ever just, like, take sick days and stuff like that. So I feel like he'd be, like, concerned if you didn't, like, say anything. But, like, for some other people, he'd be like, whatever, what the heck. maybe. I feel like he'd throw a fit first, like, have his WTF moment. (laughs) Like, he'd be really mad. But But then he'd be concerned. Yeah. But he might, he might text me and be like, what's going on, like. Yeah, because he would know, like, you wouldn't. So I'm sure that's how it was with her if she, like, showed up every day. Not that I want to try that theory, but anyway. Right. (laughs) So police went home on Lockwood Drive at 5.30 p.m. And um, they knocked on the door. They performed, I guess, through welfare check um, after Beth failed to show up. The Waterford Police Chief Scott Underwood stated that on March 17th, Beth was found dead in the bedroom that she shared with Suds, her husband. Um, When the officers arrived, she was beyond help. She was lying in the bed with blood all around her and partially covered with the comforter. She'd suffered severe head trauma and was stabbed multiple times. Police also found Suds in the bedroom, unresponsive, on the floor, and he was only wearing his boxer shorts. Oh, wow. Along with the suicide note found in the bathroom, investigators found a butcher knife, which they believed was used in slaying her. But apparently it was wiped clean. And several uncapped bottles of Suds prescribed medication. According to the testimony from a number of law enforcement they had called, they also found some blood evidence in the bathroom sink. The note stated, she drove me crazy with all her affairs. It said, thank you to the two men that he named Um, I'm believing one of them was Patrick Higgins. I did not see the name of the other gentleman. Okay. Um, They asked Beth's daughter to care for their cat. Thank you for thinking of the cat. I mean, I guess there was some some compassion in that. I don't know. (laughs) Seds was taken to the local hospital and was in critical, critical condition, but survived and was arraigned at the 51st District Court. Bond was denied, and Sud's next court date was set for Wednesday, March 27th. Thomas was hospitalized, but he recovered from his apparent suicide attempt and was subsequently arrested and charged with first-degree premeditated murder. But as the trial went underway on Tuesday in Oakland County Circuit Court, the defense team made a clear assertion that insanity drove Suds to murder. Insanity that allegedly developed because his wife's infidelity and repeated denial of it, as well as adverse effects Sud's experience from psychotropic psychotropic drugs prescribed by doctors to combat mood disorders, and was diagnosed with several and was diagnosed several weeks earlier. There is no way Tom Suds was in his right mind at the time of the crime. Mr. Suds suffered small illness and was legally defined as was consequence of mental illness and was legally insane, attorney David Kramer said, addressing the jury in his opening statement. Hmm. I mean, he was obviously mentally insane for, like, 
because he killed his wife, obviously. But do you think, like, I don't know, like, that that's, like, a, like, good enough excuse or, like, reliable excuse? Cause, I don't like, think so because he didn't catch her in the act. Right, it was just, like, him thinking that she was, which, I mean, he was right, I guess, but, like, he didn't know for sure there was no hard evidence. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people try the crime of passion and sanity plea because... Oh my gosh. Oh, insanity plea? Yes. Yeah. The wine. (laughs) We make it fast. Um, Yeah, I think they try to go that route because they know, like, it's a thing. Right, yeah. But to me, I feel like you almost have to be caught in the act. Like, if I walked in the house and my husband was engaged in a infidelity act where I, Then it's not, like, premeditated. Yeah, I was so mad that I just clubbed them, you know? Right, yeah. But... To kill him just because I have suspicions of it, I really don't think that's enough. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Because I could have just left at that point. Yeah, exactly. According to the Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office, confirmed Elsa Suds died of multiple blunt force trauma and sharp force injuries. She'd been stabbed multiple times and had major trauma to her head. A few weeks after the slaying, the 51st District Judge Richard Kuhn said suds to the State Center of Forensic Psychiatry were evaluated and for competency and criminal responsibility. In defending him, Kramer and co-counselor Deanna Kelly are working to convince jurors that suds is not guilty by reason of insanity, describing him as a peaceful pacifist a loyal and honest family man, strong Christian faith, and no history of substance abuse or violence. Kramer said that Suds would not have slain his wife if he had been sane at the time of the fortunate incident. Did they have any kids? I can't remember if you yeah, said. Yeah, the daughter. Or It sounds like she had a daughter. Oh, maybe. He with... said he asked her daughter to take the cat. Okay, so. so with someone else then, probably. Yeah, and as you see later, there is a little bit There wasn't a ton on her that I could find. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit... um, I did, with my stalking skills, I found her Facebook page. Oh, yeah. All Um, women have stalking skills. It's just a thing. (laughs) It's embedded as your boy. Exactly. (laughs) He also told the jury to expect testimony from experts and others, which supports the claim, adding that things are not always what they seem to be. Prosecutors, however... um, Maintain that Sud's motive for beating and stabbing his wife to death is apparent. She was planning to leave him, and he wasn't going to stand for it. She had met somebody else, Assistant Prosecutor Heather Brown said in her opening statement, adding that Elsa and her daughter had talked about her moving out with a date set. He was angry. She was leaving on April 1st, but she never got to leave, Brown said. He killed her, and she didn't get to leave on her own terms because he took that from her. Damn. She was planning to leave on April 1st, and he's like... Nope. He's like, April Fool's, bitch. bitch. (laughs) That's so messed up. Sorry, that's horrible. I shouldn't say that. That's so messed up. Oh, my Um, gosh. This is about anger. This is about jealousy and rage. That's all this case is all about. Jenna Norgren... I'm sorry if I butchered that, but uh, she testified that this is about anger, this is about jealousy, this is about rage, and this is what all this case is about. 
Yeah. Um, she is the daughter of Beth. So the way it's worded, I'm assuming that wasn't her biological dad. Okay, yeah. The first witness Brown called to the stand, Elisip's daughter, Jenna Norgan, testifies that she saw the decline in the couple's marriage about five months before her murder. She would call continuously, Suds would call continuously when she and her mother were out together. He was manipulative and controlling, she said, and tried to make pe- people feel bad for him. Those are the worst. I cannot stand it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stop at the freaking pity parties. Exactly. Everyone has shit. Like. I don't trust him. At one point, Norton said that she and Suds had a heated email about how he was treating her mother. I told him my mom was not his property. He cannot cage a woman, and that was I was onto him, and I thought he was manipulating her. She's uh, not my mama. Yeah. Uh, She further testified that she eventually found out her mother was unfaithful to Suds, and that she that she could stir up anger and frustration with her secretive and dishonesty. Norgan also confirmed in the statement she made to the police following the murder that Suds did strange things after he started taking the prescribed medication. The trial continued Thursday morning before Judge Michael Warren. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, the courthouse capacity was very limited, so the courtroom was a public viewing and the proceedings was by Zoom. Suds had been found guilty of first-degree murder in the killing of his wife, Beth Elsip Suds, in their Waterford Township home on March 2019. Jury deliberations began Friday, and the verdict was announced Monday. Suds, who was 74, was scheduled to be sentenced November, is scheduled to be sentenced November 10th by Judge Michael Warren. Oh, he's going this, it's this week. So, um. Or last week, when you guys are listening to this. (laughs) I did uh, go, like I said, I went on her Facebook page just because I didn't see a whole lot. And I was really trying to see if there was any more things that was said about Beth so I could put on here um, exactly kind of who she was. Just yeah. to give her a better picture. Right. And not just like a cheating wife, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, she wasn't happy. She might not have even been proud of what she was doing, but shit happens. Right, know? yeah. No one deserves to be killed because of that. That's, not at all. Yeah. Um, but some of the quotes that was on her daughter's page that I've seen, and I just thought they were kind of nice, is that be kinder than necessary because you may not know what kind of journey the other person had. And then another one she had on there, there is always a little knowledge with every I don't know, a little concern with every I don't care, and a little truth behind every just kidding. Oh, that's nice. I like those. So I just wanted to read those. Um, yeah. Because I read them and I like them. So I wanted to share yeah. with you guys. Yeah, those are really nice. Oh, that's just so sad. Like, obviously, yeah, the whole him doing it because of his mental illness thing, Obviously, that played a part in it, but, like, if he was horrible to her beforehand and even her daughter knew that because they had issues with him, like, about that before. Yeah, like, that just goes to show, like, this, he was just not a good person. Mm -hmm. Is not a good person. No, and it just sucks that, you know, she was planning on leaving. Obviously, she told him she was leaving, and I just wish she could have just let her go. Yeah. Honestly, like, why do people have to, people just get so possessive and controlling that it, like, 
drives them to do insane things. Like, I get it. It would be suck. It would suck to, like, you know, be cheated on, which he didn't even for sure find out about. But, like, that feeling. But, like, nobody deserves to die because of that. And that's just so messed up. And no matter how he treated her, if she was cheating, then, yes. You know, shame on her for a part of it. But not even focus on that. Just He should have just walked away with, like, okay... I don't deserve that, so I'm leaving you then. Right, And walk yeah. away, you yeah. know. Yeah, I wish she would have... Obviously, they were not happy, so she wasn't, he wasn't. Yeah, exactly. It's better to be apart and deal with it than together and both be miserable. A hundred percent, yeah. And they could have been if he didn't do that awful thing to her, you know? Ugh. So, uh, how screwed up is Macomb? Yeah, just as, <laughs> just as screwed up. This, uh... This, like, episode could also be called, like, Homicidal Husbands, <laughs> because... Mine's Which I want to put out there, we sat down, and we both did our stories. We didn't tell each other what we were doing, just the city. Mm-hmm. And when I told her that I was doing one about um, a murder husband, she's like, oh my god, same. So that just kind of tells you uh, we're, we're linked together. Yep. <laughs> our brains were on the same page. We got, like, a central theme. <laughs> Yeah, so in uh, good old Macomb, <clears throat> Washington Township to be exact, but in Macomb County, Stephen and Tara Grant, um, this is their story. So I actually remember hearing this story when I was in seventh grade in middle school. Um, apparently, Stephen Grant went to my middle school like when he was a child, um, and that's why it kind of like blew up about everyone talking about it when I was like 12 or 13. Um, and I, that's why they were talking about it, because, you know, typically 12-year-olds don't go around just discussing every murder case. <laughs> but I just remember for some reason hearing about it. Um, I won't, you know, tell you what, it's a little different from what I remember from like the actual facts, because, you know, 12-year-olds <laughs> probably don't have the most uh, reliable stories, but... But yeah, I definitely remember this one. Um, Tara Lynn Grant was born June 28th, 1972. Um, She was a married woman and a mother of two children. She was from Washington Township, Macomb County, Michigan. um, And she was a consultant at Washington Group International. She had a sister named Alicia and they attended local public schools. Um, Tara went on and graduated from Michigan State University where she earned her bachelor's degree in business. She soon started working for the Washington Group International, and her job required her to travel quite often for business. Um, But yeah, she had a rising career at the boys-based company, um, which had offices all around the world. I believe hers was in Troy, Michigan. So while Tara was at Michigan State University, she met a man named Stephen Grant, who was also from the Macomb County area, They went on to get married and were married for 10 years. Um, She loved art, so much so that Stephen actually proposed to her on the steps of the Detroit Institute of Arts. Um, And they went on to have two young children by 2007, uh, a girl at the age of six and a boy who was four. So at this point in 2007, Tara was the higher breadwinner for the family and Stephen cared for the children while also working in a tool and dye shop. At that time, the household also included a 19-year-old girl who was their au pair from Germany, and her name was Verena 
Dirks, I believe is that how you say it? On February 14th, 2007, so Valentine's Day, Stephen Grant called Macomb County Sheriff's Office in the county seat, Mount Clemens, Michigan, to report that his wife, Tara, had been missing for five days. In his account, Grant said that this was not the first time that his 34-year-old wife had left home, which was why he had not immediately reported her missing. He said that on the evening of February 9th, he had overheard Tara talking with someone on the phone saying, I'll meet you at the end of the driveway. He said he saw her get into a dark colored car um, that drove off and that he had not seen or heard from Tara since then, which that right there is really weird to me. Like, wouldn't he be slightly concerned or maybe just ask her who she was talking to on the phone, where she was going, like who she was driving off with? I mean, everyone's communication is different in each marriage. I get that. But, like, it still just raises some red flags. Like, why wouldn't he be somewhat curious? Like, where are you going? Who are you going with? Yeah, if I saw Pat jump in a car with someone I've never seen before, I'd be like, um, grabbing my phone, like, Where are you? Yeah. Where? Exactly. Why? It's just shady. It just seems shady. Yeah, I would definitely, um, I want to just be like, oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So over the following two weeks, Stephen Grant made numerous media appearances um, at time accusing authorities of harassment. The day after reporting Tara missing, Grant stopped by the police. Um, He was stopped by the police and he was arrested for driving with a suspended license. He accused the police of using the traffic arrest as an excuse to take him into custody to question him further about Tara's disappearance. Uh, Police denied that accusation. Um and they were holding daily press conferences during the search for Tara. I don't know, you know, if they did that to get him to answer more questions, but I feel like they can just have him come in for questioning anyways. Like, they didn't need to pull him over for that. But regardless, his license was suspended, so they got him anyways. (laughs) So, according... Any technicalities. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. According to police, Stephen Grant was less than cooperative with them during their early investigation, He initially refused to answer questions. Uh, He did agree to take a polygraph test if it was administered by someone other than police. So he really did not trust the police in this situation. And this just makes this just makes me think like you're not exactly helping out your case, dude. Like trying not to look guilty by not being cooperative with police. Yeah, you better just uh, go sit next to Chris. Right? Exactly. (laughs) Seriously. So on March second, two thousand seven. Uh, police executed a search warrant at the home of Stephen and Tara Grant in Washington Township, Macomb, Michigan. They found a dismembered human torso believed to be that of Tara Grant stored in a plastic garbage bag in the garage. Yeah. Anthony Wickersham, who was a Macomb County Sheriff, said that a sharp detective was there with him. We were standing out in the garage and he looked and he said... That Tupperware container wasn't here two weeks ago when I did my original search in Canvas. So he opened it up, and that's when he found the remains. Hmm. They immediately gained an open murder arrest warrant for Stephen Grant. But alas, he had already fled the scene, um, and they didn't determine the decree of the charges yet, but they couldn't find him either. Two days later... After tracking a cell phone call that Stephen made to his sister, 
police found the suspect 225 miles away in northern Michigan's Wilderness State Park. He had taken liquor and pills from his sister's house, intending to commit suicide. After driving to the park, he spent the night in the freezing cold with no warm or outer clothing for protection. After being found and taken into custody, he was airlifted by helicopter to Northern Michigan Hospital in Petoskey for treatment of hypothermia. In a press conference on March 5th, Mark Hackle, who was the sheriff of Macomb County, discussed a confession that Stephen Grant had made to them while in the hospital. He confessed to police in detail about strangling his wife Tara to death on the night of February 9th after she had returned that day from a business trip um, to Puerto Rico. Their two children were at home, um, but they were asleep in bed. An argument started in which he had accused her of spending too much time with a co-worker. Uh, there's that jealousy again, coming in, making people do crazy things. I wonder if Pat thinks that about me. And you, man, you worked with Crystal all the time. Now you're hanging out after. Man, I should watch out. I gotta watch, I keep my eye on him. <laughs> He's coming after me. Or I guess after you, in this, if it was like this scenario. I don't know. You do our dishes sometimes, so he likes it. <laughs> you, do them, you do them the right way. So. Well, I gotta keep doing it so that I, we both stay alive, I guess. After strangling Tara to death, Grant later dismembered her body at his father's tool and dye shop, um, which was called USG Babbitt. He then took the remains to a nearby metro park called Stony Creek in Shelby Township and disposed of the body parts there. But after learning that the police planned to search the park for Tara, Grant kind of panicked and then he recovered the torso of his wife and he hid those remains in that black plastic garbage bag um, in their home's garage. After being released from the hospital, Grant was transported to Macomb County by a convoy of Macomb County Sheriff's deputies, and on March 6, 2007, Grant was formally charged with count one homicide murder in the first degree that is premeditated, and with count two disinternment and or mutilation of a dead body. The charge of count one homicide in the first degree um, that is premeditated is punishable by life in prison and the charge of dis disinterment and dismemberment is punishable by up to 10 years in prison, a $5,000 fine or both of those things. Now on April 13th, 2007, the Macomb County prosecutor released Stephen Grant's two-part confession publicly uh, a transcript of the interview with detectives and his own handwritten confession. Details included his arguing with his wife over his jealousy about her spending time with that co-worker. And he also said that he had been having an affair with Verena Dierks, that 19-year-old au pair from Germany that were living with them that I had mentioned earlier. Which, that made me mad. Are you serious, dude? You're going to kill your wife because you're suspicious and jealous of her spending time with a co-worker. You have no, like, evidence that she was even doing anything with this co-worker. You were just jealous. But yet you can bang the 19-year-old exchange nanny in your house. Like, that is ridiculous to me. But funny enough, that's how it usually works. The one that is usually the cheater or have cheated is usually the one that is doing it has the jealousy they put their own 
um, conscience, I guess, or I don't know how like they reflect it onto the other person, the partner, because they're doing it. They now think like, well, okay, I did it. I'm doing it. So that all of a sudden that puts doubt in their partner too. And it's funny. It's just because the one that usually is the cheater is usually the jealous and non-trusting one. Yeah. And that happens all the time. Like where they just blame the other person when they're the one actually doing what they're like. Yeah, that's just and he sounds so like crazy. kind of an idiot anyway. Along with, like Chris, he was an idiot too. Yeah, like so you just left it in the pieces and a tote in your garage. Like yeah, that's did, did you even try? Did you did you even try to hide it? Right. Like, like did you not think they would come search your house? Like again, that's... like even if they came once, they're coming back, bro. Exactly. And also, if he would have only got five thousand dollars for dismemberment. I know, isn't that I would weird? have been pissed. Like, isn't that wild? Oh, yeah, I chopped her up. I just paid the five grand. We're good. We're that's, good. like, it's so... getting a sponge next month. I paid the five. That's so weird to me, like, that it's only $5,000. I'm like... And 10 years in prison. Like, seriously? It's, if you dismembered someone, you pretty much murdered them. Right. So... Yeah. 10 years Especially when he was the one who murdered her. Like, it wasn't, like, another person. I yeah. feel like that's just stupid. Right. I mean, he didn't get, ch- that's what he was, um, what is that called? Like, that's the charges, but he, his trial didn't happen yet. So, like, that was what was against him. But, yeah, I don't know. It's so but weird to me. I just think it's funny how it says dismemberment, 10 years or $5,000. I mean, maybe both. Let's hear depends, the case Let's depends just Depends on how bad it was, I guess. You know, let's, yeah. let's just see. Was she a dirty whore? Was she a nice person? It's let's, so, let's hear out the story first. Right, like, there's, like, levels to it. It's so weird. Oh, my God. But, yeah, as the argument escalated, he had strangled her in anger. He also described his efforts to dismember her body and hide it after he had notified the police of her disappearance. So, like, I guess it had been days in between him killing her and then him dismembering the body. So, I don't know where he put her body, like, for these like five days in between if she was just in the garage or where she was um in the bed next to him. <laughs> right like because his children were in the house so i don't know she was hidden somewhere um but yeah now for being a local story like this crime i guess gained a ton of media coverage all over um tara grant's murder gained like nationwide media coverage during the search the macomb county sheriff's department held a daily press conference until they found her body and Grant's escape into the wilderness also captured the media's attention. Even after Stephen Grant was arrested and had confessed the details of his crimes, Larry King Live and Court TV actually both covered the homicide and the investigation. Which, can I just say, like, this kind of gives me Gabby Petito vibes. Like, sh- not the dismemberment, obviously, but, like, he strangled her. Or, allegedly, okay. But, like, he's, he strangled her. Um... And then he disappeared into, like, the wilderness. Obviously, he wasn't found, well, I mean, I guess, conspiracy theory, I don't know if he was found, like, they say he was, but that's a whole nother story. People are still swearing he's underground, under under Mama's garden. Yeah, like, that's a whole I mean, other, uh... It does look very sus that the cops went in and were looking for this guy for a month, and then all of a sudden the dad's like, oh, here he is. Yeah, and know, they looked fine. Why did after, his parents like, look okay? Like they didn't after look... twenty feet of you know walking into the woods. So I don't know. 
But that's another story that you could go on and on about. Yeah, so. that's a whole other thing. It just kind of gave me same type of vibes with, like, the strangling and then, like, him running off hiding into, like, this big park. But, yes, so the verdict. Um, on Friday, December 21st, 2007, Stephen Grant was found guilty on the charge of murder in the second degree. Now, fast forward to Thursday, February 21st, 2008, he was sentenced to a minimum of 50 years in prison. Which, like, doesn't that kind of seem short to you? And do you notice that both of our cases, murders are in March? Weird. What's with March? Different years, but they're both in March. That is weird. I'm changing my birthday. <laughs> can you change your birthday? Um, you can change it in your heart. You can just tell people <laughs> that it's a different thing and they'll just start believing you. Except for maybe the people who obviously know you now. I just noticed that. I'm like, huh, both of our, our murderers are men and they're both in March. That's weird. I, that kind of makes me want Years wanna, apart, but they're in March. Right. That kind of makes me want to Google, like, what month of the year do the most, like, murders happen? This <laughs> just shows how twisted my mind is. Well, you can look that up for us, and you can tell us next week. Okay. That'll be our fact that we share with you guys. <laughs> Man, if anyone goes through my Google search history, they're going to be like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> okay, but on March 30th, 2010, uh, Grant lost his final appeal in state court, leaving intact the original sentence of 50 to 80 years. The Michigan Supreme Court affirmed a lower court decision that found Grant's trial was not unduly preju prejudiced by pre-trial publicity in the widely covered case, nor was Grant improperly denied access to an attorney before making a confession to police. And fast forward again to March 2015, U.S. District Court Judge David Lawson denied Grant's petition for right of habeas corpus. I guess Grant had claimed that police improperly obtained his confession while he was being treated in the hospital for hypothermia and exposure. The judge also denied that pretrial publicity made it impossible for him to receive a fair trial. Lawson said that officials in Macomb County took extraordinary measures to ensure that a fair and impartial jury was seated. I just, I mean, there was a detailed confession. Like, it's not going to be easy to come back from that, my dude. You know what I mean? He's trying to obviously shorten his sentence, but it's not going to happen. Stop playing the pity party. Exactly. Kill your wife. Yeah, you're not going to get lower sentencing, especially you had multiple confessions. There were multiple different, yeah, I mean, there's no coming back from that. So with the aftermath of this horrendous crime, you know, I can't help but think of the poor kids like they lost both their mom and dad in such a short period of time like just knowing that you know their mom was killed by their dad and then losing both in their lives so quickly it just had to be so traumatizing for them and like after the events and the trial the children like they just went to live with Tara's family I believe her sister um Tara's family have said that they will allow her two children to read their father's confession after they reach adulthood. Which I definitely would agree would be probably for the best. Because um, that's not going to be an easy thing to read for them. And yeah, I just feel like it, it would take years for them to kind of cope with everything that had happened. And I think that it's best that they probably don't read that until they're adults. 
And graduate from the therapy that they're going through now. Yeah, exactly. Tara Grant's sister, Alicia Stanforder, was, no, Stan, I, oh my goodness, I'm messing this name. Alicia Standerfer was authorized by the court to represent Tara's estate. She filed a wrongful death civil suit against Stephen Grant, and her and her husband Eric began raising the, raising the two Grant children at their home in Ohio. Today, Tara's family are all thriving and working to raise awareness of domestic violence. They're all involved in Tara's Walk, uh, which is an annual event to raise money and awareness for victims of domestic violence. And they said that their mother would be proud. Um, and yes, I'm, she definitely would be because that's awesome that they're, you know, making something positive out of a horrible situation. Um, I found some more updates about Tara's children today, but they're still both underage, so I don't really, you know, want to disclose their names and exactly where they are today, just out of respect of, you know, their privacy. Gratefully so. Yeah. And Tara's sister, Alicia, said that she is now raising four kids, and she gave an emotional speech um, at one of these walks. Um, it She says about the biggest mistake of her life. She says, I witnessed the controlling behavior, but was naive and afraid to step up to say anything to that loved one. I assumed she could handle herself, and that was the worst mistake of my life. Tara was murdered at the hands of her husband, and we knew we had to use what happened to her to make something better of it. That's so sad. Like, I can't imagine how she feels about that because... You know, it is hard when, like, if you see someone in a tough situation, it's like, do I say something? Like, will they be, like, is it fine? They'll figure it out. You know, it's like. Well, because you always run that chance of they're going to be like, it's fine. You know, just mind your business. We're fine. You know, Mm -hmm. or would they, you know, be like, oh, my God, no, it's not, blah, blah, blah. Which, you know, you never know which way people are going to take it. Some people are in denial and they're like. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's not even like that, you know. Right, yeah. And some people get mad, like, or, like, defensive, I guess. Like, no, stay out of it. Don't even, like... So I get it. That's a tough position. But now she's... Yeah, and it's not her fault at all. Oh, Like, literally at all. But it is sad. probably living with the what-ifs. Right, exactly, yeah. What if I would have just said? What if I would have asked? What if I... Yeah, definitely, Um, Another really, really sad thing that happened in the aftermath of this, like, tragic thing was that on June 13th, 2008, Stephen's father, named William Allen Grant, he committed suicide um, from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, and he died at Port Huron Hospital. This was just really sad to read because I just can't imagine how he felt after his son had committed this horrible murder, like... I just knowing that he did that like how can you look at your child the same way ever again yeah well he's probably embarrassed and ashamed Mm -hmm. heartbroken because well in a sense he's losing his son you know right prison you're you're losing him whether it's exactly um a man who was uh he had a neighboring tool shop to him said that William Grant never seemed to recover from the actions of his son and destruction of the family. Um, he had been married three times and widowed twice. 
Um, he has a married daughter and her husband left behind in addition to the two grandchildren. Um, but yeah, that's just, that was just another sad aftermath of like everything that happened. Since Stephen Grant's conviction and sentencing, uh, at least two books have been published. Um, one of them is called A Slaying in the Suburbs, The Tara Grant Murder. Um, it kind of just includes interviews with him that were recorded at the correctional facility um, and then another one called Limb from Limb, um, just if you guys wanted to check those out. And even several TV series featured the case um, in an episode of Casanova Killers um, and Discovery or Investigation Discovery series Scorned Loved Kills. So if you kind of want like more detail, you can check those out as well. But yeah, Stephen Grant is now being held at Bellamy Creek Correctional Facility in Ionia, Michigan. And his earliest release date would be 2057. And each year, Turning Point, which is a Metro Detroit help service, um, hosts the 5K event in collaboration with Tara's family. So the event is held annually on the Saturday before the start of October. So this one already passed, but if you guys want to donate or attend, um, you know, just head over to Turning Point's website for kind of like the dates and information on it. But I'm glad that her and her children are really involved with this too. I think it's nice that her sister has herself and her children um, just trying to make an, a positive impact out of this horrible, you know, situation. But yeah, these uh, scorned husbands... That's kind of the central theme of today's episode, I guess. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> and in March. And in March. Yeah, what's with March? Watch your back in March. If you guys have any doubts of anything and it's March. Keep your eye open. <laughs> maybe go on a little vacation or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, I'm going to go out of town with uh, some friends for the entire month. But seriously, if you guys... Um, you know, have yourselves or anyone you know um, dealing with any type of domestic issues, um, do not be afraid to reach out to anybody because lots of people go through it and it's just, it's just important to get yourself out of a situation like that. Know that you're not alone. There are always people that are going through it too and that can help you. The first step is just asking. Exactly. But yes, that was our close to home episode, um, and really sad. But <laughs> yeah, I was watching um, Made. Mm, yeah, and there was parts of it where she ends up at a, a domestic violence shelter. Okay, and um, hers was more emotional. It wasn't really physical, but it's all the same. Right. So that's where she ended up with her daughter. And uh, they said on there it takes women at least seven tries to finally stay gone once they leave. Oh, that's so sad. Isn't that crazy? Seven times of leaving before you finally stay away. Wow. And it has to make it so much harder once you already have children with the person, I would assume. It just is like another tie. That's so sad that, it, that that's like the number. Yeah, I've heard that show. I've heard... Several people tell me that it's, like, really good and I should watch it, so. I'm not done with it. It is good. Um, it definitely um, pulls on the heartstrings. Yeah. 
Gotta so be in a, has, uh, a certain mood to watch it, I guess. Yeah, it has ups and downs, more downs than ups, but it's definitely good. You know, I'm gonna see it out. Yeah. You know, and especially the uh, cleaning houses aspect of it. I mean... Right. I might know a little something about that. <laughs> might know a little something about that. <laughs> but uh, it's just funny because they do comparison a lot of things, like client-wise, and I'm just like comparing my boss versus this lady's boss, and I'm like, some of the things she says is kind of funny, but I do feel like my boss uh, is a little bit more compassionate. But he has his moments where he's like, uh... <laughs> You can F off and, uh, okay, <coughs> I see you and have his little moments of not happy with you. <laughs> Some relatables in there. That's on Netflix, right? Not Hulu? Or is it Hulu? Um, what did I, it's on Netflix. Netflix, okay. I believe. Yeah, so. definitely want to check that one out. Not that I'm saying I'm boss's favorite, but. Oh, you are? <laughs> That's because I'm too chicken shit to call out. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're his favorite. No. Worked for the man for five years and called off twice ever. I mean, that's impressive, though. That's, like, really impressive. And then even when I quest stuff off, God, if he listens to any of these, <laughs> I'll be like, can you just come in and do, like, a half day? And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Yeah, let us uh, know what you guys think about these. If you, you know, live near us or know any other details about it, feel free to uh, email us, message us, whatever you choose. Facebook, Instagram, Gmail, all those. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. But yeah, um, stay tuned. Next week we got another very interesting story coming at you. So make sure you chime in and, um, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I got distracted. I just looked up and you were just staring at me and I was like, what? I was like, did I say something? (laughs) No, I was uh, distracted. My wine glass is already gone. Ah, that explains it. (laughs) So. I gotta catch up to you. We're going to go get the husband and the son, and we are going to go get some Mediterranean food. Yum. Sounds so, yummy. And then we're going to watch a movie. Don't know what yet, because they are a little bit of losers. They don't like the true crime horror stuff. <laughs> Dang. I won't, I won't tell them. I won't tell them. You well, it's that. safe to say my husband's not going to listen to that. Yeah, me. he won't listen, so it's fine. Corbin might, but... You're right. uh, <laughs> Shout out, Corbin. <laughs> yeah, no. Pat's like, yep, sorry, not my demographic. <laughs> it's okay. We like a variety of things. We're, we're I'm just saying if it was him, I would be supporting him. <laughs> that's just me. That's what makes me the better person. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, we'll talk to you next week. And stay creepy. We got to go. Bye. Bye.